0: Well, good morning, and thank you again for the invitation to come and share uh, with you on this wonderful topic of missions, obviously a topic very close to my heart. Um, being a, a missionary, uh, or as is now called a mission partner, the, the, the change of name something like 15 years ago is, is a good hint uh, that there, there was a reason for that change, Um, The idea that it's not just missionaries who are involved in missions, but that we're partners with the church to be involved in missions. But being a a full-time missionary often causes a bit of confusion that people think that missions is something you have to be specially educated, go to a Bible college, uh, learn another language, and basically live somewhere else. Uh, But is that what missions is really about? Well, as I said, we're mission partners. So in fact, we're partnering with the church in mission. And missions is the role of the church. And that should be clear from the passages that we've read. Jesus left clear instructions to his disciples and for the church that they were to lead. Go, he said, and make disciples of all nations. And the basis for that command were these words. He says, all authority has been given to me. Jesus, this man who died on a cross, had had been shown by his resurrection to be truly the Son of God and the Saviour, not just of Israel, but of the whole world. He was the one who sacrificed himself so that all people, can have a way of being reconciled to a holy God. And this Jesus says to his followers, go and pronounce my victory over death and sin and win disciples amongst the nations. And if that wasn't clear enough, if you have a Bible with you, look at the beginning of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, where he says to them, to the same disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So the command to go into all the world, to the nations, to the ends of the earth, was a clear challenge to these disciples, who were all from a traditional Jewish background, and their way of thinking. Because up until this point, as, as Jewish, uh, originally Jews and then Jewish Christians, they, they had been brought up with the mindset that, that God was somehow only interested in the Jewish people, but now the Savior of the world has come, and the gospel is to be taken to all people who are to hear the great news of Jesus Christ and be invited not just to believe, but to become disciples. But then if you carry on reading in Acts, you might be forgiven for thinking that perhaps the disciples didn't quite get it. Because yes, they did a wonderful job. In Acts chapter 2 verse 41, we read of 3,000 new believers baptized at Pentecost. In 2.46, we read of people being added to the church daily as it grew as a community. But it was a Jewish community. And it was in Jerusalem. There was no real sign that the disciples were in any hurry to to take the mission to the ends of the earth. No sign that Jesus had given this mission to his people. So as you read through Acts, and you follow the story of the growth of the Christian church, you'll realize that in Acts chapter 8 through to Acts chapter 11, we see how God steps in in the most unexpected way to scatter the Christians and then to lead them to understand that the gospel is a message for all people, regardless of race or culture. We will read in the, you can read in those sections how God is going to prepare Paul, who will be the apostle to the Gentiles. He's going to give a life changing vision to Peter that will challenge him that he can no longer call Gentiles unclean. But before he does that, God needs to scatter the Christians out of Jerusalem. And he does so by allowing a persecution to break out against the church. Chapter 8, verse 1 On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And one of those people who was scattered was Philip. Philip was a godly man. He was one of those who was chosen to help the apostles in practical matters. And and he ended up going to a city in Samaria. Those of you that uh, maybe grew up in Sunday school will remember the Samaritans. The Samaritans were a people that were despised by the Jews. But Jesus had been willing to spend time with Samaritans, including a woman, a Samaritan woman, by a well. And and in doing that, he showed his disciples that he didn't endorse those kind of prejudices. So Philip arrives in Samaria, verse 4, and he begins to proclaim the Messiah or the Christ, depending upon the version of the Bible you're reading. It's simply stated. But what he's doing is what the disciples didn't do. He took the gospel to Samaria, and he proclaimed not the church, And not moral teaching, not complicated theology, but rather he told them who the Messiah is, who the Christ is, who the Savior is, Jesus. And in verse 6, God confirmed his message with miracles and amazing signs. So much so that when the apostles in Jerusalem heard about what was going on, they sent Peter and John to check it out, to make sure that this really was God at work. And you know, they were there to lend apostolic authority to what God was doing. But I think actually, they were there themselves to learn from God Because we read that after they saw what happened, what God was doing through Philip, Peter and John themselves, in verse 25, began to preach the gospel to the Samaritans. So this is the context of the passage that we read this morning. God himself is teaching the leaders of the church what it means to fulfill Jesus' commandment to be a missionary people. So we come to the first story of Philip and the Ethiopian. It's a surprising story. Surprising, firstly, because Philip is in the middle of a successful ministry in Samaria. People have been coming to God. The ministry has been endorsed by the apostles from Jerusalem. And the amazing things that God is doing have come to the attention even of a pagan sorcerer who recognizes the power of God at work. Well, you might think with all this happening, it's a fairly crucial thing that Philip should stay there and carry on with the ministry. But then an angel comes and comes to him and says, I want you to leave this busy, successful ministry because you have to meet a man in a chariot well, who's this man? Uh, Philip does what he's told, he goes to the road, he goes to the place, and then he sees, and he's shocked, because it's not a Jew, it's not a Samaritan, it's an Ethiopian, someone racially and culturally very different from Philip and the apostles. And not only that, he's high up in a foreign government, and he's a eunuch, That means that even if he was a Jew, he would be excluded from a lot of the temple practices. And as a foreigner, and as a eunuch, he was a man that most Jews would look upon with distaste. They wouldn't socialize with him. And yet this is a man who's seeking after the truth. He's been in Jerusalem to worship. Of course, he would only have been allowed in the court of the Gentiles. He wouldn't have been allowed into the important parts of the temple. And the court of the Gentiles in Jesus' day was filled with people selling animals for slaughter. It became become like a market. He's rich. He's educated. He has a scroll of Isaiah in his chariot. That would have been worth a fortune. It would have been handwritten on a big rolled-up parchment and it would have cost a fortune. And this Ethiopian man was trying to understand it, but he couldn't. And I think most of us can sympathize. If you've ever opened your Bible up to the middle of any of the prophets and tried to understand what's written there, you'd understand what his problem was. Philip must have been amazed at this encounter As a spiritual, religious man from a Jewish background, it would have been intensely uncomfortable for him to be with this unclean Gentile, let alone sitting on a chariot with him. Yet here was a man, from what Philip would have called the ends of the earth, searching for the truth of God's word. And Philip, at that moment, was given a deep insight into what God's mission is all about. First and foremost, it's a call to go to all people from whatever kind of background, to throw aside your bias and your prejudice, whatever views you might have on, on race or nationality or gender or sexual orientation, whatever you've grown up with or people have, have put into your head, if you think these people shouldn't be in our country or you don't accept their lifestyle, even so... The call comes to every Christian that missions demands that we be willing to show the love of God to anyone and to tell even the worst of sinners how God can change their lives through Jesus Christ. And as we get involved in that mission, God will change us too. He'll change our attitudes and our feelings. For the last seven years, uh, I've been working as the field director of OMF's ministry in Taiwan. I've been in Taiwan for 30 years, but before that I was mostly involved in, in starting churches. But as, as the boss on the field in charge of about 70 missionaries from 15 different countries and many different backgrounds and denominations, I, I've seen different people interacting in different kinds of ministry. But most of our missionaries are from fairly comfortable middle-class backgrounds. We've got a few strange ones. We've had one guy who's been in prison for 18 years for drug dealing. It was really hard getting him a missionary visa, but he's a phenomenal missionary. (laughs) Another guy who used to be a goth and and was a bouncer, but uh, when he came to the field, he was wearing heavy eyeliner and stuff. Doesn't do that anymore, but uh, again, great missionary. But most of our missionaries are from comfortable middle-class fairly well-off backgrounds. Uh, And now they're working with working class and marginalized people within Taiwan society, sometimes befriending men who openly have mistresses, sometimes spending time with women working in prostitution, sitting down with alcoholics and chain smokers, eating in homes where there are idols on on the wall, where people will come and worship the ancestors in their living room, where the food that they eat has been offered to idols, and where in difficult times they'll come and ask the spirits for guidance. And it's not always comfortable as a Christian to be in those situations, or with those kind of people, and the missionaries sometimes struggle with boundaries where people who, who have so much desperate need just cling to them and will suck them dry of all their energy. And yet our testimony as a body of missionaries is that God, through us spending time with those people, shows them how much he loves them and has compassion upon them. And at the same time, shows us how much they are loved by him. I wonder what kind of person makes you uncomfortable. It might not be as extreme as the people we're reaching in Taiwan. But even those with different values, different habits to ourselves can be a trial. What about those family members that drive you crazy because you can fill in the blank? why do they drive you crazy? God intended the church to be a missionary church. Missions is what we were made for as Christians. And the challenge to go is a challenge to go outside our comfort zone sometimes. Secondly, Philip would have been reminded how missions is ultimately the work of God. He didn't set up this meeting, He hadn't created a desire in the heart of the Ethiopian to read God's word. He just had to be willing to play his part and to be where God wanted him to be. We we have to realize missions isn't all about us. Sometimes you get the impression if you attend training that it's all about how well you learn to do evangelism, how many courses you've been on, how well you understand your Bible, and and if you don't work hard to get those skills, then it's your fault if all the non-Christians around you don't come to know Jesus. But it's not that simple, because it's God who changes hearts. It's God who ultimately can change people, not how clever you are at explaining the gospel. And yet we do need to pray for God to give us opportunities. And we do need to prepare for when those opportunities come. We need to be ready to give a simple explanation and an answer for the faith that we have, for what we believe. Just imagine how sad it would have been if, that, if Philip had turned to the Ethiopian when he said, I, I can't understand these words, what do they mean? If Philip had said, yeah, you know, I really find Isaiah hard as well. I have no idea what it means. Can we, can we try something, something a bit easier? Our role is to be willing and available. The Holy Spirit's role is to change hearts and to change people's response to the word of God and the witness that we give them. The third thing that comes across very clearly here is that the key to missions and evangelism is God's word. And most importantly, what God's word has to say about Jesus. In verse 35, Philip gives us a model of how to do evangelism in missions. It's based on God's word. It's focused on who Jesus is. In Taiwan, our our work uh, is always focused on the Bible. We want to bring people to read or to hear or to understand God's Word. We don't always begin with Jesus and the Gospels because we're reaching people who believe in over, sometimes over 400 different gods. They've got no idea of a creator. They think there are all kinds of gods out there in charge of different areas of their lives. They have no idea of the concept of sin as being an offense to a holy God, because in Mandarin, the word sin, zui, means a crime. So people will say, I- I've never committed a crime. So when we begin sharing about the Christian faith, we have to begin with Genesis, and we talk about who is this God? What do we mean by the words God that the Christians believe in? We have to explain that he 's a holy God. He wants those who follow him to be righteous and holy because that 's not true of all the gods in Taiwan. Some of the most religious people in Taiwan are the most immoral the gangsters, the prostitutes uh, and, and others who ask God to the gods to keep them from being caught or from being hurt and so when people hear about this holy creator God who is without sin, who can't tolerate sin in his presence, then like every single Christian has to do, they have to realize that they're a sinner and that they cannot stand before a God who is holy. And that God created us to be in relationship with him. And yet it's the very thing we can't do. And then we need to explain to them how what we cannot do Jesus has made possible because he came and he took that sin upon himself and he took the punishment that we deserve upon the cross. And he made it possible for unholy sinners to come clean into the presence of a holy God through the sacrifice of his Son, Jesus Christ. And that's the gospel that every person in this world needs to hear about. It comes out of God's word that tells us who God is, that tells us what sin is, that tells us what our need is, that tells us how God has met that need wonderfully in Jesus Christ and invites sinners like you and me. To humbly accept him as Lord and Savior. Has that been your experience? Is that something you can explain to others? Whether it's a first century Samaritan or Ethiopian, or whether it's someone in a pub in the UK or a temple in Taiwan, every person needs to hear that message. And every person who wants to belong to Jesus needs to humbly come before him and say, Lord, I can't do it myself. I need you to be my saviour. I need to accept you into my life and ask you to be my Lord. And so as Philip is witnessing through God's word to the Ethiopian, the Holy Spirit is clearly at work here. And so this Ethiopian eunuch comes to realize that the gospel is for all people, even people like him. Perhaps as they were flicking through Isaiah, they even read in Isaiah 56 verse 3, let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will exclude me from his people. Let no eunuch complain, I am a dry tree. And so realizing that finally, God has accepted him. This eunuch turns to Philip and says, look, there's some water over there. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And This was a life-changing revelation for him. But I think it was one for Philip as well. For the Ethiopian who'd been in Jerusalem, who'd probably suffered much rejection and scorn from the Jews in Jerusalem, his search for the truth was finally... Fulfilled in a realization that this Messiah, this Jewish Messiah, was also his Lord and Savior. But for Philip, that was also an amazing revelation as he realized that God accepted this man, a Gentile, a eunuch. It was a huge change in Philip's understanding as well, and clearly one that he was going to pass on to the early church, because that's why this story is in our Bible today, because Luke wrote it down in his account of Acts. He recognized how important a step this was in changing the minds of Jewish Christians. But what about us? How does this story relate to us today? It's very unlikely that an angel is going to speak to one of you and tell you to go down to Tesco's and witness to somebody from overseas who's pushing a shopping trolley and reading the New Testament. It might happen, but I don't think it will. There may be people present here who God will call you to go to another country and share the gospel with people from a different culture. That could be the missions that you're called to but most people here that won't be the case. For most people in this room, the call to go is not going to be something strangely supernatural, and it's probably not something that involves getting on an aeroplane. But nevertheless, Jesus intended for his church to be a missionary church, and for Christians to be a missionary people. And I think each one of us should ask the question, How can I meet with people and be a part of their lives in a way that allows God to use me to share the gospel with them? It might be something as simple as spending more time with your non-Christian family members, even if they drive you crazy. It may be something as exciting as volunteering to help with refugees or to work with students from overseas. It may be just finding ways to spend time with people who are a bit different from you, a bit challenging. It may be that we're called to use our hobbies or our interests as a way of developing relationships with people who don't go to church. Missionaries in Taiwan have used baking and quilting, cycling, running, board games, swimming, even video games as a way of developing relationships for the sake of the gospel. Many years ago, when we first were partnered with the church here, a group got together and bought an oven uh, or sent money so we could buy an oven in Taiwan for a baking class. Uh, And so that baking class was used as a way of sharing the gospel. Uh, And as a church, you've been supporting us since 2009, and we're your mission partners. So one way that you are involved in missions is by partnering with us. You have a share, if you like, of the ministry in Taiwan but there should be more than that. For each one of us, there are opportunities that are unique just for you. For all of us, the step into missions starts with prayer and listening to God. You might not send an angel, but he might slowly guide you and show you something new that he wants you involved with, and then it needs your willingness to say, Lord, you show me what I need to do and I'd be willing to do it. What is God calling you to do? What new challenges does he have for you? And as you obey those challenges, just like Philip and the early church leaders, you will grow. You'll grow in your understanding of the faith. You'll grow in your understanding of the love of God. And you'll find that actually being involved in missions doesn't just bless other people. It's a huge blessing to you. Let's pray together. Father, the mission challenge comes to each one of us, because you are a missionary God, your church is a missionary church, and we are a missionary people. For each of us, Lord, we know you've placed us in unique circumstances. You've given us unique opportunities. Help us to pray and consider how you challenge us to be involved in mission. It could be a life-changing, a country-changing experience. It could just mean spending more time with the person next door. But whatever it is, Lord, I pray that each person will be be met with a challenge to think about, what is our role in missions? What are you calling me to do? Who are you calling me to be? pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.